welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, my friends. Welcome to Awaken. My name is Micah. Again, if we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, glad you're here. Glad you're here. Happy Palm Sunday, everybody. That was fun. Palm branches everywhere. Did anybody do that when they were a kid? Palm Sunday at their church? Yeah. Kind of wanted to jump up there and join them. Maybe next year we will. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, I'd invite you to do that. And as you do, just a couple of updates. Uh, many of you know Dan Lucas has been with us as our church planter in residence since December of this last year. And uh, we shared in the fall that uh, our sort of growing vision uh, for Awaken is to be a part of a, a movement in the Twin Cities here of what we're calling parish model church planting. So uh, basically, lo- um, multiple locations uh, with local lead pastors that share a name, in this case Awaken, so Awaken East, Awaken West 7th, uh, that, but also a common mission, vision, and values. Um, and so part of this residency was both for Dan and for Awaken to kind of um, discern, uh, you know, who knew? Dan, Dan could have gotten close and, and worked w- closely with me and then decided, you're a total psychopath, Micah. I don't want to work with you. But thankfully, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Um, and I want to just report that last week on Wednesday, our advisory team and uh, leadership team that around um, church planting met and uh, voted unanimously to say, this is, we want this to be a parish and we want it to be with Dan. Uh, so that's very, very exciting. Um, worth celebrating, I would say. And, and, and also, Dan said, I, I want to plant with you. You're not a total nut. Um, so um, that is, that is uh, our plan. And so June 1st is uh, sort of the deadline for that. Um, with that, with, when you plant with the covenant and in the covenant denomination, there are some benchmarks in terms of launch team. And uh, really, that comes from wisdom around what it takes to really plant and to do it healthy, to send out a healthy group of people. Uh, we talk about having a healthy birth weight. Uh, if, you, if you will. And so um, with that, I want to just encourage you, if, you're, uh, if you've been interested at all, if you've kind of been on the fence or wondering, you know, is this going to be an awakened thing or, or not, and kind of waiting to hear, uh, we're going in that direction and we want it to be. And so if you've been on the fence, uh, I want to encourage you to, to lean into that. Um, we're going to be north and east of here, and so it's kind of that neck of the woods. And so if that pertains to you or applies to you, if you have more questions about it, there's lots we haven't said because it would be really boring to do it in a sermon presentation. I would be glad to meet with you. Dan would be glad to meet with you. Um, but we want to get a group of people who really feel called to sort of expand this thing called Awaken in that location. So um, please see Dan or I on that if you would. Sound good? Okay, so a few years ago my wife turned 33. Now, 33 happens to be Laura's favorite number, um, maybe because it's a prime number and there's two of them. Don Beaupre was a goaltender for the North Stars. He was number 33 long ago. I don't know. But 33 is her favorite number. Either way, um, I thought I would sort of like do something big for 33rd birthday, right? So I, I kind of on the, on the down low um, planned this birthday party, and I thought, man, how fun would it be to just get a whole bunch of our friends together and go to Bryant Lake Bowl, and we would bowl and have, uh, have food and drinks and just have a ton of fun. So I invited people from our old church. I invited people from our new church. I invited people from her work and uh, this bizarre, eclectic group of social gatherings. And so, as you can imagine, for a bit of an introvert, this sounded like a lot of fun. <laughs> right? Um, and I've learned a few lessons along the way in marriage. One of them is... Plan the party your spouse or partner wants, not the party you want, right? 
So I'm thinking, this is going to be the greatest thing in the whole world, right? And Laura shows up, and she was just kind of like, oh, okay, thanks. But not really. So we had a little chit-chat after that uh, party, uh, which included lots of things. And um, I tell you that story because, because it fits into sort of where we're going this morning, which is all about expectations. Laura had some certain expectations about what that might be like. I said, I'm planning something. It's going to be fun. It's for your birthday. But she didn't know what it was. So I had all kinds of expectations about what that night might be, and none of them were met, really, at all. It was all of the other things that... Um, but, but what happens when your expectations are different than reality? Right? What happens when you expect something... And then the real thing happens, or that experience comes to you, and it's not what you would have expected. Certainly, we've all been there before in life, and we've been on this journey through Lent together uh, into the wilderness. We've been looking at people in the scriptures who have wandered or made their way or have been led into the wilderness. Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Hagar, uh, Jacob, and we've been asking about their experience and what that was like. And so today, what I want to do is I want to... Uh, I want to try to enter another wilderness type of experience. It's not a person who wanders, but rather a group of people, uh, the nation of Israel. And for them, this experience very much took the shape of the wilderness, where it's often quiet, uh, silent, desolate, barren, dark. Um, sometimes the feeling of being alone or abandoned is or are things that come with wilderness experiences. And so... Today, I want to begin at the end of that. We're going to look at Matthew 21, which is the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city. And then we're going to kind of go back, and we're going to make our way back to Matthew 21. So if you would, stand, if you can, and uh, we'll read from Matthew 21, and then we'll jump in. Starting in verse 1, Matthew writes this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did this as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds went ahead of him, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Pray with me. God, this morning... We gather, and uh, we do so with uh, knowledge of things that are happening around the world. And so for our friends and brothers and sisters in Egypt uh, who have um, woken to this terrible tragedy uh, and awful thing, um, we are, to the extent that we can, God, we're with them. And we pray, I pray, together... Um, we lift them up to you and ask that your spirit would be near them, that evil would be uh, chased away by love and by hope. So God, what some have meant for evil, we ask that you, because of resurrection, 
that you would make something beautiful. Not because you intended it, but because this is who you are. And this is what you do. So God, as we gather freely, we, uh, we don't forget that that is a gift. And we open these scriptures and our hearts to this story because we want to know more about who you are, who you've called us to be, and what is in your heart for our lives in this community and this world. We pray in the strong name of Christ and all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. So as I said, we want to go back from Matthew 21, and we're going to go on a bit of a journey to come back to this moment. Uh, Some sermons are, uh, you read a passage and really the passage kind of preaches itself. There are some things you might draw out from it. Other times, we think about our own life experience and the experience and wisdom that comes from the collective humanity, and we find passages that kind of uphold that or are in sync with that. I often say it's an idea in search of a text, uh, and sometimes we do that. And sometimes we sort of go on a long journey with like one big idea in hopes that that sort of pays out in the end. And that's what I hope uh, will happen today, because what's happening in Matthew 21 is not an isolated incident. And when you read it from our perspective in 21st century America, you can miss things, and you can miss the depth and the weight and the gravity of what's happening in this moment for the people who experienced it first. And so I hope we can shed a little bit of light on all that would have been wrapped up in this moment, because it is massive, it's huge. And because of that, then enter back into the story and say, what does that mean for you and I today? Okay? So to do so, we got to go back and do a little bit of history, and then we're going to try and live in it a little bit, and then ask some questions about ourselves. Sound good? Here we go. So Israel, let's go back. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abram, before his name is changed to Abraham, and says, leave your father, your house, your, con- your country, your kin, and go to a land I will show you. And this becomes the beginning of the story of Israel, the people. They then find themselves in Egypt at the beginning of the second book called Exodus. So this is just a bullet point outline of kind of uh, history of Israel. So they find themselves enslaved in uh, in Israel, in Egypt, right? If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you know the whole story. (laughs) Moses comes and he calls them out, right? Let my people go. All the junior high pastors in the world are grateful for the best song ever written. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Oh, baby, ufta, yasser, you betcha, right? That comes from this story. So the exodus happens. Moses calls them out. They leave Egypt, and they begin to wander in the wilderness, but they're on their way to the promised land. God promised them a place where they would live. And so the book of Joshua begins to chronicle what's called the conquest narratives of the Bible, where the people of God go into the land, and they basically conquer the land that's there that God gave to them. Now, that's another sermon for another series that we do called Lost in Translation, which is the most difficult passages in the Bible. That's a hard one? Yes. Okay, we're not going to do that today, but that's there, right? Go into this land, kill all the people you find in the name of God. What the? This... Come back this summer, we'll do it again, okay? Or go back in the podcast narratives, archives. So then you have, they're in the land, and a group of people arise called the Judges. And there are a number of them, and they come to Israel, and they basically inform them about what it means to be Israel, and how to be Israel, and how to be God's people in covenant relationship with God. Samson is one of the Judges, you maybe remember that story, which is also a bizarre one, with the jawbone of a donkey kills hundreds of people. Anyhow, man, this book is incredible, right? 
So then they say, we need a king, because all of our neighbors have kings, and so they've got one, and we need one. And God says, you don't need a king, I'm your king. But they say, we need a king, we want a king. And so God relents and gives them a king. So there are three kings in the United Kingdom of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon. And then the kingdom split. There are ten and two, Israel and Judah. And so you have a divided kingdom. And then after that, the next thing comes up. Thank you. Uh, after that, these two kingdoms get conquered in 722 and 586, and they go into exile. And during this time in exile, there are, um, there's sort of like a quasi-return back to the land. So the book of Nehemiah, where a group gets sent back and they rebuild the wall, they get to return in some ways, but they're still in, they're still in exile, right? Because somebody else is still in charge. Somebody else is over them. And it's during this time that you also have the prophets, Prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Amos, Micah, Obadiah, they are speaking to Israel, and they're saying some really important things during this time of exile. And then lastly, after Malachi, Malachi is the last book in the Bible, and after Malachi comes around, there is what's called the 400 years of silence. And so basically, Elvis leaves the building. God just kind of disappears off the face of Israel's history, and there's really no communication between the people and God. Malachi is the last prophet, and then there's 400 years of silence. Now, I'm wondering if you could imagine what that would be like. Like, you're the people of God. You are the descendants of Abraham, the one who left his people and, and became this great nation that God pulled out of Egypt, and you're the people of God, and God is saying nothing. There's great faith, and there's a story and narratives and, and a history of God's faithfulness, and, and then nothing. You believe in this God, and you trust this God, but yet it seems like God is absent and nowhere to be found. I just wish that this would apply to us in some way. Maybe some of you have been there before. What that maybe would be like to have faith in a God, but feel like God is absent or not around for whatever reason. Now, also, you have to remember, during the 400 years of silence, right? Right before that, you had all the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And these prophets are saying some unbelievably important things for the people of Israel. Things like Isaiah chapter 9. You know, you've heard this from the Christmas story. For unto us a child is, will be born, a son is given. Isaiah 35 says that the desert that's parched will rejoice and bloom because of what God will do to renew and restore Israel. Isaiah 42 and 49, along with a couple of other, are called the suffering servant passages of Isaiah. And they speak of a servant who will come and who will suffer, but who will do something in and for Israel and for the world. A servant who will bring justice and a new song on the earth. A servant who will bring restoration to Israel as a light among the nations. Isaiah 61, Luke quotes it in chapter 4, right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news and set the captives free and announce the jubilee, which is basically like a big party in the name of God. Jeremiah 33 says, I will give you a new heart and write a new covenant on your heart. Zechariah, there's a, a valley of dry bones, and, or Ezekiel, a valley of dry bones, and these bones will like dance. They will have new life and new things happening in them. A breath will be breathed through them. All of this is happening in the prophets. So basically, why do I say all that? Before God goes silent, 
Israel hears over and over and over, again and again and again, God will be faithful. God will return. There is a promise that has been given to you that will be about redemption and renewal and restoration, and it will all happen in and through this God, this Yahweh, this servant that will come, and then nothing for 400 years. During the 400 years, there's all kinds of people who are in charge, the Persians, the Greeks, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes rides into the temple, destroys it, uh, desecrates the temple. And then there's this like one small revolt. This is history now, if you know this, the Maccabean revolt, where a group of Jews like zealots, they, in, in an insurgency, rises up and they take back the temple and there's this like, it incites this hope among the people that maybe it's now, maybe it's going to happen, maybe this is the promise that God always said he would do, only to be squashed by the Romans again. And so by the time Jesus shows up, there is pulsing through the life and the heart of the Jewish people this longing and expectation that God would want to once again return to Zion and return to the people and return to the land and do something great among them through this one promised person, a prophet like Moses, Deuteronomy says. So they're waiting. They're waiting for rescue. They're waiting for God to come back. They're waiting for Neo. Come on, y'all. The Matrix? I mean, this is like, that's, that's the power of that story. Like, it, all, those, all the greatest stories, they come from somewhere. You know that, right? Like Lord of the Rings, The Matrix. Uh. So they're waiting for something. They're waiting for someone to come back and to kick out the Romans. Which is why, in Luke's Gospel, you found people like Simeon and Anna at the temple. It says they're waiting for the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Israel. So they're all waiting. Everybody's waiting. What would they be waiting for? And if you read the prophets with these three lenses, I would argue you begin to see these ideas kind of rise to the surface. They're all waiting for a true return from exile. That they would truly come back as a people and not be exiled anymore. Read the prophets. Read Josephus, a Roman historian who's Jewish. You, you, you hear these threads. They would be waiting for the defeat of evil. That God would once again come back and return and defeat the evil empires that have oppressed them for those, these hundreds and hundreds of years. And that God would return to Zion, return to Jerusalem, the center of it all, where the temple of the Lord is. So there are these hopes and dreams and expectations. And then after 400 years of silence and waiting and waiting and waiting on a hill... Outside of Nowheresville in Bethlehem, a baby is born, and a light comes into the darkness, and a voice comes out of the wilderness. It's time. It's time. So this is the story. This is, the, this, like, all of this is happening around the time when Jesus comes onto the scene. And this, Matthew 21, and it's recorded in all of the Gospels, his triumphal entry, is like a moment of climax. It's a, it's a peak uh, do you guys remember last year, in the, uh, for those baseball fans out there, after 108 years, the Cubs finally won the World Series? You know, Cubs win! Cubs win! Think Harry Carey, big glasses, right? And you get a couple Chicago people back there. Like, I mean, this was like the sporting event of the, of, the, of, the, of the century that the Cubs won after 108 years. We put a man on the moon, right? Finally, we have feet on the moon. And the whole nation is like, oh my gosh, it happened, it happened! Guitar solos are going, you know. <laughs> this is a moment of climax for the people of Israel. For a couple of reasons. One, this is Passover. Matthew 21 happens at Passover. 
Three different times in the year, the Jewish people would make their way back to Jerusalem, those who could. And they would pilgrimage all the way back to the city center, and they would gather. And Jerusalem is this tiny little city on top of this little hill. So thousands and thousands of people, they would be like booking you know, hotels out into the nearby cities because it couldn't fit them all. And everybody's coming to Jerusalem for Passover. Passover is about remembering. It's about remembering the faithfulness of Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt, who saved you and spared you and parted the Red Sea. It's about remembering. And now, in Matthew 21, it's not only about remembering, but it's about people saying, do you, th- do you think this is it? Do you think he's the guy? I think he might be the guy. Do you think he's the guy? I think he's the guy. I think this might be it. I think it's time. It's time. It's actually happening. So we're not just remembering, but we're actually seeing the fulfillment of the promises of, eight, of, of, of ages gone by right here, right now in our time. Like, can you imagine what that would have felt like? It's a climax because literally, to get from Jericho to, to Jerusalem, Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. It's the lowest city on the planet. To Jerusalem, which is like three, over 3,000 feet above sea level in 15 miles. So imagine in 15 mile span, you have to go over 3,500 elevation, feet of elevation. So the psalmist says, ascend the hill of the Lord and return to Zion. It's not just a phrase. It's like literally, climb out of the depths of the Dead Sea to the city on a hill, Jerusalem, for Passover, where you remember, where you tell the stories of God's faithfulness. And when, for this time, it might actually be happening in your midst because God is speaking again After 400 years, a voice comes out of the wilderness, John the Baptist, and a light shines on a hill. Gang, I don't think, like, I'm a pretty animated person, and I I don't think I'm doing, like, even close to justice to what it would have been like to be there in that moment. So let me see if I can land this plane. We started with expectations. But imagine there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all, you know, gathering in Israel to remember the faithfulness of God and the promises of God and what God would do or might do and would, would one day do. And you have a bunch of different people who have expectations about what that would have looked like. Four of them kind of emerge among, uh, or from, the, from the scene of the first century. But then I want to ask you a question about what you expect. So four different groups of people that would have been here in this, in this passage probably, and on the streets, You have the Pharisees. The Pharisees are, of course, the people that we know the most about because they're often in conflict with Jesus. The Pharisees are like, they are Torah-observant folks. They believe that God hasn't returned to Israel because of all you sinners, right? Which is why they're throwing stones at people and why Jesus comes (laughs) alongside and says, you who is without sin, cast the first stone, right? These are the Pharisees. And they think God has not returned to to Israel because of all of the sin. And so Torah-observance, like strict adherence to Torah, We'll get us back. We'll get God to come. Then you had the Sadducees. They were terribly sad, you see. Gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm very, very sorry. I did not do that first hour, and I shouldn't have done it second. Oh, man, that's the junior high youth pastor in me. Just coming back. Resurrection, baby. So the Sadducees, these are folks, they didn't believe in the the life to come. They didn't believe in, in afterlife. But they were kind of like compromisers. They were basically like, hey, let's make a deal with whoever we need to make a deal with in order to kind of keep the peace, right? So the Herodians, Herod in Jesus' story, is a Sadducee. He's a part of this group. And they're basically like, bide your time. Just like, do what you got to do to kind of wait it out, right? Like Novocaine. Just give it time. It'll work. 
Then you have the Zealots, or the Essenes. The Essenes is a whole other group of people, and these folks are like, uh, they are a sect, S-E-C-T. Annunciation is important on that one. And they've basically like taken themselves outside of the city, and they're waiting it out. They're basically like, through holiness and separation, they're like the Branch Davidians, but cooler, right? Like, out in, the, I mean, just like out in the middle of nowhere, like a group of people, and everyone's kind of like, who are these crazy people out there? Is that like a cult or something? But these are the, the Dead Sea Scroll folks. So the Dead Sea Scrolls that have been found, these were the Essenes living out in the desert, waiting for Yahweh to, re- to return to Israel, okay? Lastly, you had the Zealots. The Zealots, they actually show up back here in window number three. Uh, the Maccabeans' mother is in that window. These are the folks who basically said, God, you clearly need a little bit of help, and so we're going to help you with swords and with violence, and we will take the city by storm, right? So they sort of take matters into their own hands. All these people, God's going to return to Zion. God will come back to Israel, but how? And what will it look like? All of these people are gathered in Israel and they are crowning a king, and rightly so, Jesus the king, and they say, like, palm branches and a coronation ceremony is basically what you see in Matthew 21. And they crown the king. But what's fascinating is that when you think about the expectations that each of these people had and how they interpreted God's promise to return and to redeem and restore and renew Israel, it seems to miss Jesus' trajectory just a tad. And so I want you to maybe enter the story this morning. If you were there in Israel and you had been through some kind of wilderness experience where you were waiting for God to do something and you were hoping that God would be faithful in his promise, what would you hope for? What would you be waiting for? And if you were hoping and waiting and expecting God to return and do something and say something, When God finally answered, how close would that answer be to your heart and your desire? Because it seems, it's fascinating to me, because Jesus says, here's the deal. God answers the question and then says, here's the way. Follow me, and that way leads to self-sacrifice and ultimately death. So if you want to know how God shows up and you want to know how God answers a promise and you want to know how God is faithful, God says, look at Jesus and Jesus says, follow me to Calvary because this is Holy Week, friends, and this is where it all goes. And so if we want to know what God looks like, the disciples say, tell us what God looks like. We want to see. We want to know. How does he sound? What does he look like? And Jesus says, watch me. I'm resisting the temptation to watch me. What's the break of leg? Uh, Watch me dip, watch me nay nay. Watch me now. Jesus says, watch me dip, watch me nay nay, huh? He says, follow me. Follow me, and where it will lead is always going to be sacrifice for the sake of other. It's always going to be love motivated for others, not self. It's always going to look like Calvary. And so this morning, some of you have been in a self-imposed wilderness of Lent. And you've been on this journey for, with us. Some, for some of you, your wilderness will not end with Lent. And you might be wondering, is God faithful? And you might be expecting God to do something because God says God is faithful. And these promises that we read in Scripture, but what does it look like? And what will it look like when God answers? And how do we hold our expectations 
and how God answers and says, follow me. And where does that lead us? Seems to me that it leads to the cross. And it always leads to sacrifice of self for the sake of other. So who wants in on that? Now, gang, Easter's next week. You know this, right? It's one of my least favorite sermons to preach every year. Don't tell anybody, though. Because all kinds of people... I think I like Palm Sunday and the week after Easter a whole lot better. Because, like, you, you're my people, right? Like, nobody comes out for Palm Sunday, usually. And nobody comes back for the week after Easter. Like, check it off the box and we're done, right? And so, like, we'll be here... I'll be here next week and, you know, give it our best. But everyone's looking for, like, a, a clever way to tell the story. And everybody knows the story. And so it's a lot of pressure that I put on myself for next week. But, like, I love this weekend because, like, you're my family. And so just before next week when everybody else comes, I just want to have a little chat with my family. And that's this. Like, I really love you guys. And, like, I want what's best for you. Like, I want your marriages to succeed. And I want your kids to be wonderful children. And I want you to be the best that you can be in your vocation, serving the Lord in the world. Like, I want those things for you. And I have to tell you, I would be a horrible pastor if I didn't tell you this, that the way to life, the way to renewal, the way to redemption, the way to restoration, the way the world is made new is this way. And it's the path that leads to Good Friday. And it's the path that leads to the cross. And it's the path that says you got to die to yourself in order to live. And that doesn't sell CDs. Like it doesn't pack stadiums. Die to yourself so that you can truly live. And so as your pastor, as we read this and we think about Palm Sunday and what is happening in this moment, Jesus is being crowned as king, rightfully so, but his answer falls outside of or below or the expectations of the people. And so I want to just ask us this morning, as we come to this text and we come to this God, what do we hold? What do we expect? What do we want? And, our, and, and what happens when God answers? And the answer is, follow me, to sacrifice. Are we willing to go there? Because counter, it's counterintuitive, and what's, what's intuitive is we got to build ourselves up and secure ours while we can and get it while we can before everybody else does because there's not enough to go around. That's, that's, the, that's the story that the world's living by. But this is a different story, and it says, actually, hold it with open hands. Give it up, even, to, even unto death. And restoration and renewal and rebirth and a whole new world will come bursting forth right before your eyes. But will you believe me and will you follow? So maybe you're here this morning, and you've got it all figured out. You don't need any help, and so you don't really need resurrection. Okay. Or maybe you're not. Okay. Maybe you're not altogether. Maybe, maybe the plan is not tracking the way it was supposed to track. And maybe you, you really do want to get off the wheel and stop spinning. And I would just say, would you consider the possibility that this story, this man, walks into a city 2,000 years ago and says, I am the rightful king and true Lord over all of creation, 
I am the new humanity, a representative human, and the son of God. And I will take you back home if you will follow. And it's this way, and it leads to a cross. So follow me. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we gather, we do so with all kinds of things in our heart, with all kinds of hopes and dreams and expectations, and some of them, truthfully, they're, they're authentic, they're honest, they're honorable. Some of them aren't. And so we hold them with open hands and in the light and ask that you would do your work, that you would be who you are, which is a God who is always in pursuit of us and always welcoming us home and asking us to return. And so God, as we hold our own wildernesses and our own expectations of who you should be or who we need you to be. We ask that you would visit us. We ask that you would come near. That as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. And so in this moment of silence, Holy Spirit, come. Speak tenderly to our hearts and invite us more and more towards who you've made us to be, who you died for us to be, I pray. Holy Spirit, come. Would you stand for a benediction as we close? Ah, that is my hope and my prayer that God's Spirit would blow in and through and around and among this place and these lives and this world. Amen? That people would be transformed by the love of the gospel and that resurrection would happen and would keep happening in our lives and that we would bear witness to it. So receive this blessing as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Go love the world. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.